You know, I would, this week as I was preparing, I was reading an article I thought was hilarious. Some pranks that they performed on new recruits. And I thought, man, some of these I can share, some I can't. But I'll share with you the ones that I can. So uh, <laughs> this is hilarious. One of them, uh, they sent a private to the mess hall to look for a left-handed spatula. That was going to take a while. All right, then uh, there was another one. They sent uh, a recruit to special medical supplies office, and they had him request fallopian tubes. And he was, uh, yikes, that was a little more than what he was looking for. All right, and then uh, another one, a guy, they sent him out to a howitzer to conduct a boom test. And what they told him to do was that he had to yell down the tube, boom, so that they could calibrate it. I'm not exactly sure who these new recruits are. I'm not feeling great. Another guy, they ordered him to go and get a five-gallon can of dehydrated water. You know, when I thought about it, man, these guys just, uh, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what they were going for. And you know, as we come into Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is trying to explain to the people of Galilee who he was and what he offers, and they just didn't understand who Jesus was. And... Um, Let's read what happens is, is Jesus gives them an invitation. It's a phenomenal passage. If, I'm sure many of you have already read this before, but if you'll stand with me as we read this passage and we'll read God's word together. I'll read the first few verses and I'll ask you to come in with me at verse 28. It says this, verse 25, And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Verse 28, will you read with me? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's close with, uh, let's uh, pray together. Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we just ask that as we get into this passage that you would provide peace for those that are going through difficult circumstances. Lord, we know that our answers for life's difficult problems are found in you. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, many of you back on May 19th, you might have tuned in as Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got married. I personally tried to avoid it. No, I'm just joking. But, you know, the point was, <laughs> during this wedding, there was over 29 million people that tuned in to this wedding. Uh, they had the wedding performed at St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. And it was a phenomenal wedding. It cost a lot of money. They say that it cost somewhere around $45 million. Most of that was spent on security alone. And um, the amount of detail that they put into this wedding, just in the invitations alone, it's said that they sent out over 600 wedding invitations because uh, the chapel, St. George's Chapel that they had it at, can only seat about 800 people. Well, this invitation that they had, it was gold-stamped, uh, gold-pressed. Um, it had uh, the, the three-feather badge of the Prince of Wales, and it had to be hand-inserted into the machine uh, from the that was made in the 1930s. 
They were incredibly expensive. But if you tuned in and you watched that wedding, you would have seen thousands and thousands of people gathered outside of Windsor Castle just hoping to catch a glimpse of the royal couple before they got married. As I thought about that, none of them got an invitation. They really would have, uh, you, you can imagine, they would have loved to have gotten their hands on, on this incredible invitation. But because they weren't from the royal family, they didn't have the royal bloodlines, and because they didn't have any connections, they didn't receive the invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, we come to another royal invitation. Jesus Christ is going to extend an offer to everybody, no matter who they are. It doesn't matter if you have a person of status. It doesn't matter if you're a person that, that has education or doesn't have education. It doesn't matter if you come from a wealthy family or you don't. Jesus Christ extends this invitation to everybody. And other than that, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States or if you're a farmer from Bucksnort, Tennessee. God extends an offer to you that is uh, incredible. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, verse 28, it says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The invitation that Jesus gives is an invitation for those that are struggling in life. It's an invitation for people that have heavy, heavy burdens upon their shoulder. There's people that are carrying things that they, they, they're struggling with. Their heart has inner turmoil. There's uh, issues that you're facing, maybe situations. I was talking to a lady just this morning. I stopped and prayed with her. She has some incredible test results uh, that just came back to her, and she's struggling with it. And the Lord in this passage offers an invitation for people that are carrying burdens that they can't carry. And um, what's incredible is that Jesus says in verse 29, he says, you will find rest unto your souls. Jesus Christ gives an invitation to come to himself that in Jesus Christ you will find the things that are necessary to get through the toughest points in your life. Isn't that good news? is the fact is, is that there's some of you that you're struggling. Maybe you're stressed out about things that are work. Maybe you're, you're, you're stressed out about situations that you're going to face in the coming weeks. And how are you going to make it through it? Jesus says you can come to him and he can give you rest for whatever it is that you're facing. That's good news. Amen. Now let me give you a little bit of context behind this passage. Jesus has, uh, is in his ministry up in the northern part of Israel called Galilee. Israel was divided into three regions. In the north you had uh, Galilee, then you had Samaria and Judea. Jesus is up in the northern part of Israel. And Jesus has just proclaimed uh, condemnation on three different Galilean cities. Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. He, 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 he condemned them because what Jesus had done is Jesus had performed all of these miracles. He had sent out the 70 disciples to go and preach the news of the kingdom. Uh, he, had, he had taught them. They had seen all the evidence about who Jesus Christ was, but yet the masses of Galilee had rejected Christ. And in the middle of all of this condemnation that he proclaims on the people of Galilee, Jesus gives one last invitation to these people to respond to himself. Now, as we go into this, let's look at this passage. Jesus starts out with a warning for his invitation. 
And what he does is he says there's two different types of people. As Jesus was doing his ministry in Galilee, there was going to be some people that would hear the message that Jesus would bring to them, and they would respond. They would hear the message and respond. There were another set of people that were prideful. They thought they had the answers. They were people that felt good about themselves. These people would, in essence, they were, because of their pride, they would not be able to hear the invitation that Christ would give to them. Let's look at this passage, verses 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Jesus is praying to the Father. And it's almost as if the people that are gathered around him, we don't know the setting. We don't know exactly where Jesus was at when, when he was praying this prayer that other people could hear. But we know that as he said this, there was a, a large group of people that were gathered around. And he prays and he's saying, Lord, there's some people that are going to have a harder time hearing this invitation. It's because of their pride. Look at what he says. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven, because thou hast hid these things. Who did he hide them from? From the wise and the prudent, the ones that, that, that felt good about themselves, the ones that were prideful, the ones that felt like they didn't need anything. What did he hide? As Jesus was performing his ministry and as he was going through Galilee, the thing that Jesus was going to hide was the identity of who he was. You understand that people can sit in a room, they can hear a message, they can, uh, they can know all the facts about Jesus, but the bottom line is, is your attitude that you take towards Jesus Christ is important. Everybody recognize that? If you are a prideful person and you think you have need of nothing, Jesus' invitation has nothing to offer you. Notice that the, the, the people that he's talking to are Jewish leaders and, and Jewish people that were, had a prideful attitude. And their pride would blind them from the message that Jesus Christ had to offer them. This invitation is an invitation that can only be spiritually discerned. And, and the invitation that Jesus has is what is he offering to people? He's offering rest for people that are going through difficult circumstances. But people that are prideful don't feel that they need any help outside of themselves. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because of why? They're spiritually assessed or appraised. Inside the heart of people is this ability to be able to resist Christ. You know, we live in a world where people are very prideful, aren't they? They feel like they can do everything on their own. They feel like that they're smart, they've got an education, they can provide for themselves. But the thing that's interesting about Jesus' invitation is that for those that are prideful, you'll miss out on the very thing that your heart longs for. If you're a prideful person and you feel great about yourself and you feel that you have no need for God in your life, then you can go on in your life and Jesus will give you the option that you can go on in all of your pride and you can miss out on the greatest invitation that God has ever offered to man. He'll allow you to do that. But I want you to notice that the second type of person, God, 
The first type is the person that is prideful, that will not have anything revealed to him. But the second type is that God says that who does he reveal himself to then? If he doesn't reveal it to the ones that feel great about themselves and prideful and arrogant, who does he reveal himself to? Notice what the passage says in verse 25. He says, but thou hast revealed them unto who? Babes. What does that mean? Well, this Greek word nepion means infant. God has chosen to reveal himself to infants. You're like, now why, what's going on here? Like how many of you guys, uh, some of you have babies that are here in the room. I haven't, we haven't had a baby in my house for a long time. Um, I'm not complaining, okay? Uh, Just so that we're clear. Those that keep letting my wife hold your baby, I'm great with that. Just don't let her have any ideas, okay? But now uh, the deal is, is an infant What does it mean when Christ says that he's revealed himself to infants? Well, he can't be meaning like actual infants to babies because babies can't understand a lot, right? But there's one thing about babies that stands out is that babies recognize that they have a need, don't they? As a matter of fact, if you don't give them what they need, what will they do? They will cry really loud until you get it for them. You see, babies recognize that they need help outside of themselves. Babies recognize the fact that if they don't have somebody that provides what they need, they're not going to make it. So they will cry, and they recognize that they need somebody to bring to them, to offer to them something that they can't do for themselves. So when Christ says that he's, he's going to unveil an invitation, the ones that hear it are only the ones that recognize they have a need outside of themselves, that there is something that they're missing that they cannot provide in and of themselves. Isn't that interesting? So what Jesus Christ is saying in his warning is that if you want to hear this invitation that Christ offers to you, how do you have to respond to him? In humility? Understanding that there's nothing that you have to offer to God? Understanding that he alone is the one that can provide the thing that you need? You know what the problem is in our society is that we have created a group of people that are self-sufficient. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're the people that I'll go work and I'll I'll get what it is that I need. But in all of that, is it possible that we could be missing out on the fact that there is a God that really is the one that provides everything that we really truly need? You see, that was the opposite of the Jewish leaders. They were the most prideful people. They felt that they could labor and they could keep the law and that God would somehow accept them in that way. They, they trusted their human intellect. They were prideful, self-sufficient, wise. And as a result, they would miss the invitation that Christ was offering them. And it was right in front of them. In verse 27, Jesus makes this statement. Follow along with me. Verse 27, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the only one who knows God the Father is who? The Son. The only one who knows the Son is who? The Father. And so the only one that can reveal the Father is who? The Son. And so what's Jesus basically saying to these Galileans that are gathered? If you want to know about what God has to offer you, It's the responsibility of the Son of God 
to take the person and the purposes of God and reveal him to other people. You guys understanding what, what Jesus is saying? In essence, Jesus is saying that if you're not willing to listen to what the Son has to reveal to you about the Father, then there is absolutely no other way that you can know what? Know God. Is that not a case for Christ's deity right there? He's laying it out in front of everybody. He's saying, by the way, you prideful people, you ones that think you know all about God, the only one that really can reveal God for who he is is who? Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what's the point behind what Jesus is saying? Is that if you're going to act in pride, then you're going to be blinded from the very thing that you need. You have to come to Christ as a baby with nothing to offer, no merit of your own, no resources. And folks, if you're going through hard times today, you have one or two places that you can depend on. You can, in your pride, think that you can handle it on your own. Or you can humble yourself and recognize that the answer lies outside of yourself. Amen. Those are the only two options. Jesus offers no other way. He's the only one that reveals the, the Father. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And so he says that there's one of two places you can either humble yourself and come to Christ and he'll give you this invitation, or you can just live in pride and try to deal with the issues of life on your own. Guys, I, I, I vote for the one of depending on God to help me. I don't know about uh, you guys, but my kids sometimes get this idea that they can do everything on their own. They don't need my help. Dad, I don't need it. One of my, my kids, they love to play video games. Any people out there, you know, your kids? And they, they play these video games, and I'll come up there, and I'll sit down next to them, and I'll say, hey, you want my help? They're like, no, I can do it myself. Always say that. Man, that drives me nuts. All right. And, but then what happens is, is they'll get involved in these games. They have these Lego games. And on each stage, there's these hidden little secrets that they have to find in order to be able to go to the next level. I'm like, okay, I'll just let them kind of do things on their own for a little while. They get going in these games, and they can't find what it is to get to the next stage. And so I see them just getting frustrated. They're, like, they're just, like, going nuts. They're freaking out. Like, I can't figure this out. I can't get to the next level. What am I going to do? And I just let them go for a little while. And if you leave them for a second, you know what they do? They always do this. I love it because it makes you feel so great. All right, they come back to you, and you say, Dad, um, could you help me? I'm like, I thought you didn't need my help. Five minutes ago, you thought like it was a joke that you, I would even volunteer to help you. And so I'll let them keep going. Like, no, you said you could do it. Keep going. They get more frustrated and they come back. Dad, you've got to help me. <laughs> and folks, you know what I've learned just like with my kids? Is that sometimes God has to let you have things like your own way for a while so you realize they don't work. God will let you go on in your pride. But you see, the invitation for what Christ has to offer you this morning, it only comes to people that are at the end of their resources, the ones that come like a baby that realize that the answers are outside of themselves. So folks, uh, whatever it is that you're going through, to respond to his message for you today, you have to come in humility. Amen? In humility. The second thing, we see is the invitation to salvation. Now, what I want us to look at today is that Jesus is going to offer two invitations. So you're going to need to stay with me, okay? I'm giving you a little bit of an overview of what we're going to go and the direction we're going to take. But understand that the invitation that Jesus gives is to two different types of people. 
Same person, he desires it for the same person, but he gives an invitation for those to come to Jesus, and he offers an invitation for those that have already come to him to take on his yoke. So two different invitations that we're going to look at. The first one is the invitation to salvation. Look at this, verse 28. He says, come unto who? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus' invitation is, first of all, to come to who? Come to him. Hey, uh, good news, both invitations are going to go the same way. Both, uh, both times, he says, you're coming to me. In other words, Jesus starts with an invitation for those that are heavy laden and the ones that are going through difficult circumstances. He says, come to me. Did you recognize that the entire New Testament is an invitation to Christ? When Jesus says, come unto me, it's an invitation to find in Jesus Christ the thing that you're looking for. When Jesus says, come unto me, it's a call to salvation. It's saying, come and believe in me. Put your faith in me. Let me show you. Because you might not believe me. I know you guys are like, Ryan, you, you might be messing up. All right, I'll show you. So throughout the, the Bible, the New Testament, there's all kinds of passages where he says, come unto me. For instance, he says in John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never, what? Hunger. In Jesus Christ, you find what your soul hungers for. He says in John 7, 35, uh, 37, he says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and he shall be, uh, and, and drink. What, what does that mean? You'll find what your soul is thirsting for in Jesus Christ. He says in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in or come in, and he, and he shall be saved. That means in Christ you find the way to what? Salvation. He says in John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall what? Come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Jesus is saying that those that come to me, there's nobody that I'll reject if you'll just come to me. It's a call to salvation, folks. In Jesus Christ, you'll find what, what your situation needs. But what is he specifically talking about? He's talking about the salvation specifically. Augustine made a statement, and maybe you've heard it. It's a very famous statement. He made this. This is what he said. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. Christianity is not about coming to church. Christianity is not about keeping a bunch of rules. Christianity isn't about keeping up with traditions. Christianity, notice that Jesus says it starts with what? Coming to Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with him. But notice that this call is specifically for certain types of people. Notice what he says in verse 28. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If you have a, a pen with you, you might circle those two words. They're very important words. He says, all ye that labor. It's the idea of a person that's working to the point of exhaustion. They're looking for answers and they're trying to find it. And that, one, that word heavy laden is the idea of a ship that's been loaded so, so heavily down that it's about to sink. Well, who's he talking about? As he's talking to these people in Galilee, most of them have grown up 
with this, this regulation, these rule-based system that's been on them. You recognize that for Jewish people, they had taken the Ten Commandments and they had made it into 613 rules. Man, that takes a special person to be able to do something like that, right? Like, their rules had all kinds of weird things. Like, for instance, did you know that, like, on a Jewish people, when they would wake up, that they would have to put on their left sandal first, then their right one? They had specific methods, like Sabbath rules. There was all kinds of things. You could only go so far from your house. They had all kinds of rules about washing their hands. What were they doing all these rules for, folks? Why? They're looking for a way to please God. And when they didn't keep all the regulations and the rules, well, how would they feel about themselves? They would feel guilty. They would have the weight of their sin on top of them and they would feel bad and feel like there, there's nothing that they could do. How can my sins be forgiven? And folks, I've found that in this day, I, when I go out and visit people, there's all kinds of people that are suffering from the, the guilt of their past and the weight of their sin. For these Jewish people... Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 4, it says they bind heavy burdens grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Folks, from the weight of their religion, they were carrying around the weight and the burden of their sin. They struggled with guilt, they struggled with the, ability, the frustration of, of knowing that they didn't measure up. They could never be good enough. And folks, there's all kinds of people like that, right? That feel like you never measure up. You'll never be good enough. You're always suffering from the guilt of the things from your past. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor, that are working for God's approval, all of you that have the heavy burdens from your sin and the weights of, of the things that you've done in your past. And he says what? I will give you rest. He's saying, allow all of these weights and these burdens to drive you to who? It's meant to drive you to Jesus Christ. The frustration and the weights that you're facing in life and the difficulties are meant to bring you to a person that can actually handle them. Notice he says, I will give you rest. This word rest is a great word. It means to revive or refresh. You see, if you compare the weight and the burden of sin to what Jesus Christ offers you, Jesus Christ offers to revive and refresh the places where you have felt burdened down and loaded down with the weight of guilt of sin and the consequences from what you've done. Religion offers burdens and exhaustion, but Christ is willing to provide rest. What does it mean when Jesus says, and I'll give you rest? Well, I told you that when Jesus said, come unto me, it's an invitation to what? Salvation, to be saved, because they had the weight of their sin on them for so long. When Jesus says, I'll give you rest, he's talking about he's willing to, to take care of the burdens from your sin. He's willing to forgive your sins and give you peace with God. Folks, do you know what it's like to, to experience the peace with God because your sins have been forgiven when you've come to Jesus Christ? It's an incredible burden that's lifted. 
The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are justified, folks. From the moment that you come to Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him, he justifies you. What does that mean, folks? It means that God declares you righteous while you're still in a sinning state. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, he cleanses your sins. He wipes them away. You no longer have the burden of your sin being brought up again. You no longer have to live with the weight of the consequences of the sin that you've committed. It's wiped clean. You get to start over. You have no longer a fear of death or what could happen to me if I was to pass away. Isn't that great? He offers rest for the soul. There is nobody else that can offer that to you. I love that it's emphatic in Greek. If you were going to read this, how it actually is read in Greek, it says this. I and I alone am able to give you rest. See, rest is what this world really needs. There's a lot of people that are trying to drown out their sin with alcohol and trying to drown out their sin through, through pleasure, trying to drown out their sin. But listen, folks, Jesus says, come unto me. He alone can give you that rest. You know, uh, I, I, many of you would probably know the name Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler, he saved the lives of over 1,200 Jewish people by putting them to work in his, in his factory. Many of you might not know the name of somebody else named Sousa Mendez, who saved nearly 10 times that number of people. Oscar Mendez, he worked for the Portuguese embassy. Portugal during World War II was neutral, even though they were underneath the leadership of a fascist dictator. That dictator came out with a law that they were never to uh, give any uh, visas to anyone that was Jewish or anybody that was Russian. He said, we don't want to take a part in this war, so they were never to issue any visas to them at all. Sousa Mendez, working at the embassy, would have scores and scores of Jewish people coming into the embassy to request a visa. Knowingly, even knowing what that dictator had said, he decided that he was going to give visas anyway. He would labor night and day. He said, the scores of people, how could I turn my back on them knowing that they would be sent out into a concentration camp? Sousa Mendez, by the end of his life, he had given out over 30,000 visas to Jewish people so that they could get freedom in Portugal. At the end of Sousa's life, they had actually captured him and they recognized what he had done. Uh, he was tried on 15 charges, including violating Portugal's prohibition against uh, giving out visas to Jewish people. What ended up happening is they dismissed him from diplomatic service. And this father of 15 was stripped of his pension and he lived in poverty until he died in 1954. You know, when I thought about this story... Susa sacrificed his career so that these people could experience the peace of living in Portugal. You know what's better than that? Jesus Christ sacrificed his life so that you could experience peace with God. Amen. Never having to carry the burden and the weight of your sin any longer. He can wipe it all clean when you come unto him. Every burden that you carry, everything you've been laboring for, it's worthless. Just come to Jesus Christ. He offers you peace with God. No fear of the future. All your sins wiped clean. 
and, and, and no longer any guilt or condemnation from God forever. Amen. Folks, if you're saved today, you have a reason to be thankful. Amen. Now let's look at this last invitation. The invitation to transformation. Verses 29 through 30. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't just call you to salvation, folks. There's more to your life than just coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You recognize that, right? When you got saved, that's just the starting line. He doesn't want you to just come to him for salvation. He also wants you to come to him for sanctification, of being made more and more like Jesus Christ. He's got more for you. So uh, passages like Romans 8.29, it says, Those who he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son. His goal is to make you more like Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into this next part, I want you to recognize that just because you came to faith in Christ and you have peace with God doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where your heart is burdened down with, with, with burdens uh, of stress and situations and circumstances. How many of you can testify that in your Christian life, you've gone through some times, some things that have kept you awake at night? Everybody's hands raised. Well, you're like, well, Ryan, you said we have peace. Yeah, you have peace with God, but did you know that you can be a believer and not have the peace of God? You see, you have peace with God from the moment that you're saved. Your sins will never be brought up. Your, your slate's wiped clean. But Jesus also offers the peace of God for those that are walking with him. Now, let's look at what he offers. Look at what he says in, in this passage. Verse 29, he says, take what? My yoke upon you. You're like, hold on a second, Ryan. Like, you said that it was going to become lighter. You said that what, taking a yoke on you, it sounds like that would be tough. It sounds like it's even, it's more weight, a, a bigger weight to carry. Let me explain it a little bit to you. The people that Jesus was talking to, they were, used, they were farmers. So they would understand the picture of what Jesus was saying. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, a, a yoke is a wooden bar that was made to fit around the neck and the shoulder of an ox. And it, it was actually, they would actually carve it so it would fit just right so it wouldn't chafe the neck of the ox. The farmer then had a harness that would attach to the yoke so that he could turn the ox to go in any direction that he wanted it to. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what's he saying? I want you to put yourself in submission, under the submission to Christ. I want you to put your life underneath my authority. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he's saying, I want you to submit yourself to me. I want you to listen to me. You're like, well, here's the problem. A lot of you in here, you, you, don't, you want freedom, right? You, I want to make the shots. I want to call the shots in my life. Well, folks, we have a misunderstanding of freedom in our society. I want you to listen to me on this part. We think that freedom means that I can do anything I want. Folks, that couldn't be further from the truth. Amen. And this is the reason why. Let me help you just a little bit. You think, well, that means that I have the freedom. I can go drink if I want to. Yeah, you can, but you'll find that the yoke of alcohol is a lot heavier than the yoke of Jesus Christ. 
You see, the things that we do and the choices that we make, it actually has a way that it controls us. We fall deeper into slavery and we have less choices because we've come underneath the yoke of our sin. Folks, that's not freedom. You see, the freedom that Jesus Christ offers is that when you come underneath the yoke of Jesus Christ, you not only, you, you have the ability to now do what is right instead of doing what's wrong all the time. You see, when you come underneath the yoke of Christ, he empowers you to live out the life that he called you to live because you're living in submission to him. You guys understand what I'm saying? We have a misunderstanding about what freedom is. Freedom isn't found in fighting God. It's found in submitting to God. It's like in a war. The only way that they can experience peace is when one side does what? It submits. But notice what else Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you. And what does he say? And learn of me. Now let me explain to you, this, there's a secondary way that this is used. In the biblical times, when a, a, a guy found a rabbi or a teacher that they thought was incredible, they would go up to a rabbi and they would say, can I follow you? Literally what that meant was, is can I come underneath your yoke? And can I listen to your teaching and see how you do life? And I'll learn from you and I'll follow your example. If you tell me that I'm supposed to do things this way, then I'll look at your example and I'll imitate what you show me. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, what's Jesus saying to you? He's saying that you need to live a life of a submissive learner. That means that you come underneath the authority of Christ and you learn from the example of Jesus. That means that as a, a follower today, if you want to experience the peace of God, what he's saying is that the only way you can find that is coming into a, a under my, placing yourself under my authority and learning from me. That you learn from the example of Christ. That's why God calls you to get into the word of God so that you can see how he responded in certain situations. And what you're called to do is to imitate Jesus Christ in that situation. Well, what would you learn about Jesus? Look at what he says in verse 29. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. What does that mean? He's saying that I'm not like the Jewish leaders that put a lot of weights on you. I'm not going to burden you down. I'm not going to put things on you that you can't bear. That's good. But look at what else he says. When you decide that you're going to take my yoke upon you and you're going to learn and you're going to put yourself underneath my authority and you're going to learn from my life and imitate me, what does he offer? Look at what he says. He says, and ye shall find what? Rest. Let's try that again. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. Rest for your souls. Ryan, you said we already had rest. No, you had peace with God when you came to faith. But listen, what he's talking about here is the rest for your soul is the rest of knowing that his presence is with you, to know that you're operating underneath his authority, that God is with you, his presence is with you. That's why you have passages like the peace of God. It talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Look at it with me. I'll put it up on the screen. It says this. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And what will happen? And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What's he saying? 
Folks, when you decide to put your life underneath mine and you decide that you're going to follow after me, what does he say? You'll have peace. You'll have rest for your souls. Now, folks, listen to me on this part. You have to get this part. Yokes in Jesus' day were made for how many people? Made for two. When he says, take my yoke upon you, what does he mean by that? In those days, what they used to do is they would take a, an ox and they would pair a younger ox with an older ox, one that was stronger than it, one that was more experienced. And what they would do is that the, the younger ox would learn from the older one, the more experienced one. And Christ says, take my yoke upon you. What's he saying? When you put your life in submission and you take on my yoke, I'm paired next to you. You're harnessed to me. And what he means by that is Jesus is the perfect one to be yoked to. Because you'll find that as you're living underneath the yoke of Christ, that he's the one that's the more experienced ox that's pulling beside you. What, it, what he means by that is that uh, he, Jesus Christ is the most experienced person you could be yoked to. He knows what it's like to be in hurt. He knows what it's like to be in pain. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to, to be uh, betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to go through the issues of life. And when you take on his yoke, you find that if you're harnessed to Christ, the burdens of life are a whole lot lighter. Do you know why? Because your life is yoked to him. In essence, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what he's saying is that I'm with you. If you put your life in submission to me and learn from me, you're living life with Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I heard uh, back in Thanksgiving 2003, President Bush secretly traveled to, to Iraq to have Thanksgiving dinner with the soldiers. They didn't know what was going on. It stunned them. They had a, a mess hall of about 600 soldiers that were gathered. The soldiers gathered. They thought there, there would be a speech that was given uh, by the administrator, Paul Bremer. And as he stood there, and he was about to read the, the president's proclamation letter, which usually is given, that's given to the person that's the senior official that's on base. As he stood up to begin to read the letter, he said, uh, you know, this is normally given to somebody that's a more senior official. Is there anybody that's a, a senior, higher rank than me that's back there? And out came President Bush. When he did, the soldiers stood up on, on their chairs and on the tables, and they began to cheer and clap. You know, as I thought about that, the president understood that the greatest present that he could give his soldiers that were living in a difficult place was his presence. You know what I've found in life is that God doesn't want you to face the most difficult situations in life on your own. So he calls you to take on his yoke and do life with him. Amen. And what I love about this is that I've found in my own personal life, life goes a lot better when my life is underneath submission to the yoke of Christ. Listen, his yoke is a lot lighter than the yoke of sin. His, 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 his burden is a lot lighter than the yoke of, of of, of feeling the guilt of your sin. Folks, the yoke of Christ is the best yoke you could possibly have. That's why he says in the same passage, my yoke is easy. That means enjoyable. Jesus Christ wants to take you down the most enjoyable path. I want to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've, Ryan, I've been struggling.